You are now listening to a member of the Disney Podcast family. Head over to Disney Podcast family on Instagram to see all the latest posts for this show and links to other great Disney podcasts. And welcome to Mando Monday's special edition brought to you by Walt's Apartment and the DizInsider.com. With me is Jade. Hello. This is Amber. And we are going to chat with you, as promised, in anticipation of this week's chapter release of The Mandalorian. Going to give you a little backstory of Mandalore and Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano. So you guys have a little bit of preparation for maybe what's to come and and just a smidge of backstory. We're going to try super hard to keep this under 30 minutes for you and we're going to just pack a whole lot of stuff in here. So we're going to just try to hit it and quit it, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, So welcome. Thank you. Uh, We're going to start out with some kind of historical stuff about um, Mandalore. And a lot of this comes from legends, which... For those of you that are kind of newer fans, because of the Disney era, uh, Lucas Films and the whole Star Wars universe was this gigantic kind of mod podge mess of stuff that frequently contradicted each other. So when Disney made the big acquisition, they kind of termed stuff up until a certain point um, legends or kind of fables within the Star Wars universe. And then the stuff that's considered, quote, canon are those big major pieces that have happened in movies, TV shows, certain books after a certain date, those kind of things. So there is not a whole lot of information in canon about old Mandalore. What I could find in Legends comes from video games, comic books, and older novels and things. So the very first Mandalorians... Uh, were from 7,000 before the Battle of Yevon, BBY, in Star Wars time. And they were called the Tongs. They were a species of aliens that had occupied Coruscant and were driven away. They were kind of a warrior nomading species. Um, They have a very distinct alien look to them, which is kind of familiar um, in some of the new stuff that Perhaps they're releasing in comics and um, novels coming up. So it'll be interesting to see if that species is making a reappearance. Anyway, they came to the planet um, that had a different name at the time and became Mandalore. They ultimately ended up being killed off in what was known as the Old Sith Wars or the Mandalorian Wars, the bloodiest time in history as far as we know in the Star Wars universe. But their culture really is what created the Mandalorian culture. This idea of clans, um, this kind of warrior aspect to them. Um, We don't really get into anything that's in canon until about 1,000 years before the Battle of Yevon. And that has to do with Tar Vizsla, who was the first Mandalorian in the Jedi Order. 
and he is the one that crafted the Darksaber. After his death, the Jedi Order kept that in a vault, um, safely hidden away. One thing about Tar Vizsla is he used the Darksaber to unite all the clans of Mandalore, and that was the first time that was done ever, and that was pretty significant in Mandalorian culture as well. Um, was used uh, later, House Fizzla went back and liberated the Darksaber from the vault where the Jedis had kept it. And that's when that kind of reuniting again of these kind of clans and houses came together. So that symbol of the Darksaber really is a symbol in that culture of unification. All of the clans, regardless of how much they fought intermittently with each other, all have honor and respect for that dark saber and the clan or person wielding it. As we talk about maybe a little bit later here, when Maul has the dark saber, it just automatically imbues this level of respect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Mandalore is very um, clan based, like I mentioned, but it can be made up of multiple species. Um, it's really more about all being bound by a creed or a code. Um, They are known throughout the galaxy as being warriors and particularly back um, in history and legends against the Jedi. So they frequently teamed up with the Sith um, for a lot of things. We start to see more with Mandalore in the Clone Wars animated series around 42 years before the Battle of Yevon. And this is where things become quote canon. The part about Tar Vizsla creating the dark saber and being a part of the Jedi order also is from flashbacks or little stories that are told within Clone Wars or Rebels. So that is considered canon, those little bits and pieces. So we are introduced to Mandalore in the Clone Wars um, during this time of peace because in 42 BBY um there was a big movement, the Mandalorian Civil War happened, where uh, kind of like two political parties were warring against each other. The New Peace Movement um, and the what were known as the Traditionalists, which also were known as Death Watch. When they were overthrown by the Peace Movement and Duchess Satine became the leader, they were kind of exiled to the moon of Concordia and scattered across the galaxy. Um, Duchess Satine has, uh, at that time, was protected for a period of time by Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn. So you see some of that relationship come to light in the animated series of the Clone Wars. So then we hit Clone Wars time, which is about 19 to 20 years before the Battle of Yavin. Um, so again, civil war seems to be happening. Um, Death Watch has reappeared, is kind of battling with uh, Duchess Satine for power, ends up teaming up with Darth Maul. Well, sort of. Darth Maul acquires the Darksaber and then assumes control after he kind of made a deal with Death Watch to avenge them, kill Kenobi, and take back Mandalore. But Maul, of course, is kind of evil, so he has his own plans, and they think they have their own plans, and they're going to double-cross Maul, all of this and that. And then, you know, Maul ends up killing 
and getting the dark saber and ruling mm-hmm. <laughs> the death watch and then at that time when maul kind of takes control bo-katan and her more loyal followers kind of shoot up the place and take off to kind of regroup and see what they're going to do about Maul because Bo-Katan is not okay with Maul leading Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or Death Watch leading Mandalore either, right? Because her sister fought so hard um, years before well, that. Well, Bo-Katan was part of Death Watch for a time, but then she sees Maul kill her sister. Mm-hmm. She sees Maul take control of the Death Watch mm-hmm. and then Mandalore. And then she's like, nope. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Mostly because she was kind of the warrior minded one of her family. Yeah. Not that she didn't care about her sister and all of that. And then when all of that went down, she, you know, kind of had that change of perspective. Yeah. I don't think she expected her sister to be murdered and uh-huh. all of that to go down. So, yeah. But, but that's kind of an interesting part of her character that we saw before kind of the shift that happened where, you know, she was very much on the, on the outskirts and, and more of this like, warrior-based mindset. Um, and then that kind of was forced to change for her. Yeah. And then even later where she is one of those kind of reluctant leaders. Um, so then um, Duchess Satine was killed um, by Maul, who wielded the Darksaber. Maul ends up being captured by Ahsoka. Yep, Ahsoka and also Bo-Katan while they're trying to retake Mandalore right towards the end of the Clone Wars. And we'll get more into Ahsoka's side of the story after mm-hmm. we're done with Mandalore history and Bo-Katan. And that really s- segues into that last kind of part of the last two seasons of the Clone Wars. Is that is that right? Season seven? Oh, yeah. Is kind of where all of this culmination of, of stuff happens. So if you yeah. haven't watched that last newest released season that they just put out this year. Um, Go check that out. Yeah. As far as watching it, I would just recommend watching the last couple episodes going over the siege of Mandalore and like the very last bit of the clone wars before order 66 happens. And even Mm -hmm. a little bit after order 66, order 66, 66 happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And then after we see all of that stuff, um, we roll into the Rebels series, basically, the animated series Rebels. And it's about two years before the Battle of Yevon. Um, Clan Wren is kind of fighting to get back control almost of Mandalore. End up teaming up with Clan Kreese, which is where Bo-Katan and... Um, um, Duchess Satine were from. That was yes. their clan, their family name. Sorry. Um, and the Darksaber comes into play there again. And with Ahsoka and the other rebels from that series. Yep. They help uh, kind of liberate Mandalore in a sense. And then uh, Sabine has the Darksaber at that time. But then she relinquishes it to Bo-Katan, leaving her kind of in charge after they sort of defeated some of the Mandalorians that were teamed up with the Empire for control. Which was Death Watch. Yes, which was Death Watch. And that's kind of where we leave them on the Rebel series. Sabine kind of uh, 
is now part of her clan once again. And then Bo-Katan's back in charge of Mandalore. Has the Darksaber. Has the Darksaber. And that's the last we'd seen of the Darksaber mm-hmm. until now in the Mandalorian series. Yep. So then a, another little piece of something that happens in between that we don't know a whole lot about yet is called the Purge. Um, they also called it, oh no, she did, Bo-Katan mentions it to him uh, in the, she said she fought in the Siege of Mandalore, but I think siege. that might have been referencing the Clone Wars Siege. Oh, okay. I'm oh, that's right. That's though. what I call the Siege of Mandalore. Yeah. Um, the Purge is what they refer to um, as this big event where the Empire comes in and pretty much uh, genocides the entire Mandalorian people mm-hmm. um, and planet. And that's where all of those Beskar bars come from. They killed all the Mandalorians that they could and melted down their armor to make all of the, these Beskar kind of gold bars like um, stuff. Yep. So that happened somewhere between the battle of, uh, of what we've seen two years before the battle of Yevon. And then now nine years in the Mandalorian is um, after the battle of Yevon. So Yevon. So that's kind of a basic timeline of what we know from Mandalore and the Mandalorians and the Mandalorians that we've seen so far. Bokatan mentions in the Mandalorian that he must have been a child of the watch, which we've already said definitely ties in to death watch and that those tied way back to the beginning um, of the Mandalorian civil war um, of the traditionalist movement. So those were the, the kind of seeds that sowed death watch and now, um, this more traditional clan or cult type thing that the Mandalorian Din Djarin seems to have come from. Yep. And up until this point, all the Mandalorians that we know of could take off their helmets. Yep. Even Death Watch, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just kind of an interesting little like sect that has come out of this, probably since the purge and yep. then feeling threatened. So, yep, exactly. So, how does Ahsoka fit into all of this Mandalorian stuff? Okay, so first I'm going to start from the beginning of Ahsoka's story and kind of give you kind of an overview of her life and her part played in the Clone Wars and kind of her backstory, yada yada. And okay, Ahsoka Tano is a Togaruta female discovered on her homeworld of Shili by Master Plo Koon. You can see him in the Clone Wars movies and in the Clone Wars series as well. Um, After the Clone Wars started, Master Yoda assigned her to Anakin, and she will be his Padawan at this point. And Anakin nicknamed her Snips, and it's kind of what she'll be known as to a few characters in the series. And she was later appointed as a commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, and she found a friend in Clone Captain Rex of the 501st Legion. You'll later see Rex in the animated series Rebels as kind of an older guy who helps the rebel cause a bit. And then she faced many opponents during the Clone Wars, like Grievous, Asajj Ventress, uh, Cad Bane, many bounty hunters. And I'm going to kind of go over a few episodes that I think are pretty important to her storyline. On an episode on this planet called Mortis, which was kind of like a hidden force planet, that had a 
three main characters on it, which were the father, the daughter, and the son. The daughter was an embodiment of the light side. The son was an embodiment of the dark side. And the father kind of kept balance between the two of them. On this planet, the son was trying to seduce Anakin to the dark side of the force while the father wanted him to take his place and kind of keep balance between the two siblings. Um, the brother ended up killing Ahsoka Tano and the sister ended up uh, giving up her life to bring Ahsoka Tano back to life. So after that episode, you can kind of see this almost manifestation of the sister following her around in the form of a bird that you see at the very end of the Clone Wars series and quite a bit during the Rebel series as well. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit of what happened to her during the Clone Wars. She actually died and got brought back to life by the manifestation of the light side of the Force. And then, let's see, another pretty important episode was she was an advisor to an Alderaan group of rebels with her close friend Lux, where she helped liberate a world from Confederacy, and Lux and her kind of had a special relationship, if you know what I mean, kind of like her master Anakin and Padme, but she never acted on her feelings, but it's pretty obvious that she and him both had feelings for each other, in my opinion. Um, later in the series, um, she was framed for a bombing on the Jedi Temple that killed a few people. Uh, she manages to escape when they put the blame on her. She attempts to clear her name. She kind of meets up in the Coruscant underworld with Asajj Ventress, who wants to capture her and turn her in for a bounty. But uh, Soka kind of shows her that she was betrayed by the Jedi Order. Asajj kind of... You know, that. Yeah, she yeah. feels that mm-hmm. in the way that she was kind of betrayed by her master. So she decides to help her. They get some information that lead them to this kind of bay. And in there, you see all these bombs of nanobites and blah, blah, blah. But it basically points that she is the person who committed these bombings. But as, you know, loyal fans, you realize there's no way Ahsoka could do this. What's going on? But of course... Clone troops and all kinds of people kind of surround her, so there's no way for her to escape, and the evidence is stacked against her. So she's captured once again, and she tells Anakin all about what happened, and Anakin is the only one out of the Jedi Order that believes her, so he sets out to kind of clear her name. In the meantime, she is expelled from the Jedi Order because the... Uh, Republic wants to try her as a war criminal because of the bombing on the Jedi Temple. So while her trial is going on, Anakin is trying to clear her name. He meets up with Asaz Ventress, who then tells him about a certain person that um, Ahsoka had contact with. So he goes and he kind of tracks down this lead with the person who has Asajj Ventress's lightsabers. And he discovers that it was actually... Mm. It was actually Barris, Ahsoka's friend, who is also a Padawan. A Padawan? (laughs) To to a member of the council as well. And... um, so Anakin rushes in with Barris and basically says, I have a confession and evidence, and then Ahsoka is let free. 
the council later apologizes to Ahsoka and says that, you know, you can come back to the Jedi Order. We're sorry, yada, yada. But at this point, Ahsoka has lost faith in the Jedi Order and says that she has to leave and find her own way. Anakin kind of chases after her and is like, I understand you wanting to leave the Jedi Order. And she says something along the lines of, I know you do, but I have to do this on my own without you or the council. And she kind of leaves. Um, We next see her towards the end of the Clone Wars series. She returns and there's kind of a small storyline in the center of it where she's kind of just going around in the Coruscant underworld trying to survive But the more crucial part of it is later she meets up with the Mandalorians and she kind of is roped into kind of helping Bo-Katan take back Mandalore, like we talked about a little bit earlier. But they don't have the firepower to take on Maul, Death Watch, and all these criminal syndicates that are involved Mm-hmm. So she goes Black and kind Sun. of, yes, Black Sun, all of those people. So she kind of calls on some old friends, Anakin and Kenobi, to get some help from them. But at that time, they're going to rescue the Chancellor who has been captured. So, you know, that kind of ties in to the end of the Clone Wars movies. So they cannot help her, but Anakin has the idea that they send part of the 501st Legion to help her take back Mandalore. So she takes a ship and part of the 501st Legion and goes to Mandalore. They have a epic fight with Maul, you know, a lot of clones get killed, a lot of Death Watch gets killed, yada yada. So they end up catching Maul. And Bo-Katan is able, is left in charge of Mandalore. As they're going back to Coruscant to deliver Maul, Order 66 happens. Right as Order 66 happens, Rex kind of turns to her and tells her about another clone trooper fives to look into fives. And then all the clones kind of turn on her in the next instant. But she manages to escape through the ceiling. She looks up fives and discovers that fives had a chip malfunction. There's these chips that were implanted in all the clones' brains that they said kind of made them more obedient, but it later became evident that it was the reason all of the clones went along with Order 66. So Ahsoka uh, catches Rex, kind of brings him into this med bay, removes his chip, and then Rex goes back to normal after his chip is removed. So it kind of proves the theory that the chip is what turned the clone troopers on the Jedi. And then, so Ahsoka releases Maul as a distraction, and then her and Rex try to escape on a cruiser, but obviously Maul gets to it first and is able to escape. They drop down to this lower level. All the while, all the clone troopers are trying to kill her and Rex for treason. They end up on a ship. They end up landing on this planet, and all of the clone troopers on that ship ended up dying, so... They bury them and kind of have a more memorial episode with all their helmets kind of stacked up. And she ends up leaving her lightsaber on that planet and her and Rex fake their own death and go into hiding from the Empire. And then, you know, you kind of see at the very end of the Clone Wars, 
uh, Darth Vader kind of walks up to the planet and he just sees all the clone troopers helmets and you can tell it's quite a ways later timeline wise and he finds her lightsaber and looks up and there's that bird that I was talking about that kind of embodies the sister that brought her back to life so it's kind of interesting and then we're going to move on to after the Clone Wars series there is a book about Ahsoka and in this book, it tells you about how she's hiding as Ashla is kind of her code name. And she ends up on this moon called Rada that the Empire is kind of taking control of, using these farmers as cheap labor, giving them unsafe working conditions, this and that. So eventually, Ahsoka ends up kind of getting all these people off of this imperial-run world where they just keep getting injured and people keep dying and this and that. And Ahsoka ends up becoming an informant for the Rebel Alliance, and her codename is Fulcrum. And she kind of has some help from Bail Organa and getting those people on that moon world off of that planet. But during that kind of fight, she kind of runs into an Inquisitor. And she doesn't have her lightsabers at this time, so she's kind of defenseless in that sense. But she ends up beating the Inquisitor, taking his lightsaber crystals, and kind of purifying them and turning them from red to white. And that's where her classic white blades come from. She stole Inquisitor's crystals and turned them into no longer dark sabers. Mm-hmm. And bled the crystals. Yes. Well, opposite of bleeding crystals. Because bleeding oh, is when bleeding they turn them sick. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so at this point, she is part of Bail Organa's Rebel Alliance. And her code name is Fulcrum. And she is a rebel agent. Or informant, informing different intelligent groups about different things that are going on and what they need to strike against, yada, yada. And she ends up running into Hera's uh, rebel cell. And you kind of see that she takes a special interest in this rebel cell because of Ezra and Kanan Jarrus, which Kanan Jarrus is... You used to be a Padawan during the Clone Wars. He ended up escaping, and he took on a new Padawan named Ezra. So he, she kind of takes an interest in this cell because there is a Jedi and a Padawan in it. And one of the key points that happens during the Rebel series is while they were trying to find a way to defeat the Sith, they came across a Sith temple. And there she faced Darth Vader. And they kind of had this epic duel. She saved Kanan and Ezra, and they took off on a ship, and then the whole temple ended up exploding. So we all assume that Ahsoka had died in the explosion. But later, we find out that Ezra gets into the world between worlds, and it's kind of a force dimension that connects all space and time. And he ended up pulling Ahsoka into the world between worlds, saving her. So Ahsoka got back, but Ezra was lost, and she promised to find him. After the Empire was defeated at the very end of the Rebel series, you kind of see Ahsoka return to a freed Lothal, which was Ezra's home planet. And you see Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian we spoke about earlier. And you kind of, they just kind of give each other a look, but you kind of know that they're about to go off and try to find Ezra and save him. 
And then this is the last we know of her until we discover her location from Bo-Katan in the Mandalorian series. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! So it's a lot. Parts that we thought yes. would be important. Yes. Um, the A few things there that you mentioned is that this is a time period where Jedi are rare. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, the Empire believes that the Jedi have been destroyed. Darth Vader believes he's and the Inquisitors have killed all the remaining Jedi. But over and over, it's been demonstrated there are still Jedi out there hiding amongst in the galaxy. Yep. So when the Mandalorian was sent on this quest, you know, we know that the child species is so rare that it was more than likely he was going to go look for Jedi. Yeah. And that has now confirmed coming to fruition with, you know, Ahsoka's name dropping happening. Yes. What we don't know is then what's going to happen when he finds her. Is she going to send him to find more hidden Jedi or force users? Because I don't think Ahsoka really considers herself a Jedi. Um, But yeah, so we'll see. So there were other Jedi around. Um, It'll be interesting to see how this happens. And, And that establishes that she has a special relationship with Mandalore and Bo-Katan mm-hmm. um, and potentially another well-known Mandalorian in Sabine. Yep. So, I mean, we could see Sabine show up, which Sabine's only been in the animated series, The Rebels. Which she is a younger character who was born during the Empire or uh-huh. very early. No, I think she was born during the Empire. So it would make sense that she hasn't been in any of the movies or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could maybe see that happening. Yep. Um, well, at the end of the Rebel series, her and Sabine were off kind of searching for Ezra. So it would make sense that they'd be together, depending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So some interesting stuff here. Are we going to see some resolution of the Rebels animated series um, within the Mandalorian? That could be cool, right? Filoni, mm-hmm. heavily involved with both all of these. Yep. Um, so... You know, that might be a kind of way to bring some of those mysteries to a close. Um, but who knows, really? But that's yep. who knows that's Ahsoka, go. <laughs> that's Bo-Katan, that's some Mandalorian history. And we hope that you check us out for Mandalorian Mondays. They'll come out every Monday after a chapter of the Mandalorian series. You can also join us on Walt's Apartments live broadcast on Wednesday nights. Um and where can they find you if you want to social media? Uh, Snips Jr. Now you know where Snips comes from. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you can find me at Amber Atin Cosplay on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, following Walt's Apartments and their various platforms um, for dialogue as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Yep. <laughs>